Sing Second Sports is a ProVision Advisors production. Let us solve your toughest communication problems and leave your team stronger and more capable for the challenges that lie ahead. Visit www.provisionadvisors.net to learn more. All right. Hey, hey, welcome aboard another great episode of the Sing Second Sports Podcast. I am John Schofield. Joining me uh, on the board, working old man radio, doing his thing is Chris Cervello. It is Army Week. We cannot be more excited about this. Number one, we're pumped that this is daily pod time. We have a daily pod for your pleasure all week long, ending on Saturday morning. If you're driving up to New York City, we'll have Kind of the creme de la creme of our pods on Saturday morning. We're not going to give away who the uh, who the guests are, but you know, one of them used to wear number twelve at Navy, so it's not really a big deal. But let's get right into what happened over the weekend. Um, first of all, we're really excited on this podcast as we bring you guests and staff and coaches and athletes all week long. Today, we are going to be joined by Ashley Pelzik. Uh, friend of the pod, class of 06, former women's basketball. She's going to break down what she's seen in women's basketball. And I'll break into that right now by saying that the Jen Coleman 30-point double-double machine rolled on out in Princess Anne, Maryland against Maryland Eastern Shore yesterday, Sunday, December 5th. They lost, unfortunately, 61-66. to But Jen Coleman, as you'll hear Ashley Pelzik talk here in a minute, is just otherworldly. There isn't a player um, that's been in this program quite like Jen Coleman, and she showed it yesterday by dropping 30 points, 14 bounds, but again, in a losing effort against Maryland Eastern Shore, and you'll hear Ashley say it later, she needs some help, and hopefully she gets that help, but uh, not the result that Toolman Tim Taylor and the ladies were looking for out at Maryland Eastern Shore yesterday, losing 66 to 61. The wrestlers went out to Vegas uh, where, you know, Chris Cervello and I go out there to make bad decisions. They're out there to wrestle in the Cliff Keen Las Vegas Invitational against some really, really good teams. They finished 14th out of 26 teams. Uh, just some really, really good teams out there. Um, ranked ninth nationally, the University of Nebraska won the team title with 125 points. Uh, but some really good teams out there that Navy got to face, Ohio State, Michigan, Northwestern, Wyoming. And we're going to talk to Kerry Colat later this week as part of our Army-Navy coverage as well, particularly what he's looking forward to for the Army-Navy game this coming Saturday. And then finally, would like to give a shout out to Track and Field. Um, went out there to Wesley Brown over the weekend to see the men's and women's Navy Invitational there at Wesley Brown. Great athletes. Um, in the end, uh, they posted, track and field posted 29 qualifying marks here in the season opener. Uh, just a lot of good performances. Uh, Bramir Vick, uh, in particular, posted a pair of IC4A times in the 60-meter hurdles. Uh, he posted a time of 8.07 in the prelims and then raced out to a 7.99 in the finals. 
Um, he became the second student athlete in Navy history to run sub eight times in the hurdles. Uh, so watching it out there in Wesley Brown, number one, the facility is so good for hosting that stuff. But number two, a lot of fleet and talented athletes in track and field getting it done over the weekend. So good job to the track and field athletes for what they're doing. Now, what's coming up this week? Um, other than men's basketball at George Mason on Tuesday, uh, the big one coming up is death, taxes, and swimming and diving, trouncing army in the pool. Rowdy Gaines will be here doing the play-by-play um, for the swimming and diving meet against Army on Thursday, December 9th. If you are in Annapolis and looking for something to do before you go up to New York City, check out swimming and diving versus Army on Thursday. But the highlight of our week happens Saturday, and we're going to talk to Louis Nicolau of Waterpolo, recent Hall of Famer. Uh, we're going to talk to Pete Medhurst, the voice of Navy sports, about what he's looking forward to with Army-Navy, and we're going to talk about some of our favorite memories of the game itself, and that gets us right to our uh, final part of the intro here. We asked you in the last podcast to give us your favorite memories of Army-Navy, uh, and you know, in doing so, we'll pick five lucky people to win an Allegiance flag set brought to you by our good friends at Allegiance Flag Supply. I just got mine today. I just put it out in front of my house. It is awesome. And without any further ado, we're going to pick one right now. And that is going to go to Matt Sheeran, class of 98. His favorite Army-Navy game memory was watching Chris McCoy and Tim Canada, both 98 grads, classmates of his, run wild and crush Army 39 to 7 in 1997 that ended Army's win streak. That happened to be up in the Meadowlands where we're going to be on Saturday. Uh, they had experienced so many heartbreaking one to two point losses to Army over the five years previous to that, that it was such a relief for Matt and his fellow class of 98ers to get that experience. So again, we encourage you, send us on DM on Twitter and on Instagram, or just email us, but send us your favorite memory of Army Navy and we will read it on the air, and we will pick five lucky people. Well, now just four, because Matt Sheeran just won an Allegiance flag supply set. Uh, so send us your favorite memories, and we will go from there. Before I take us to break, before we get to Pete Medhurst, Chris Cervello, what is your favorite memory of the Army-Navy game? Well, John, um, I have so many favorite memories, but I would say probably if I had to um, pick one, um, you know, the one that, that Matt talked about was um, I, I was a, a second class that year. That was the only time in my four years that we uh, beat Army. So that was certainly a special one. But I would have to say it was when I was in uh, middle school and Frank Shank uh, kicked the game winning field goal. Um, and that was really I've talked about it on the show before and I've talked about it on the Believe podcast. Um, that was really like when the Army Navy series grabbed me. I mean, um, you know, I had always sort of heard about it, but that was the first time that I decided I wanted to go to the Naval Academy and that that game just meant so much and that it came down to, you know, a, a guy kicking a field goal and going from, you know, sort of an average player, place kicker to, you know, Army Navy legend. And uh, ever since then, um, it's been something uh, special. Um, it's funny. I mean, you, you know, uh, I, I can't help myself, John. I'm just so excited for this week. Um, I was out in L.A. this weekend doing work. I woke up on Saturday 
out in LA and, and it was like, for me, army week had begun. Like it was that, that was it where it, it's just, it's something about this week. And, you know, as you mentioned, we're going to try to capture it little by little, even among the teams that, you know, are just playing regular season games. There's something about that week that makes um, them play even harder, even if they're not playing army during this week, leading up to the football game. It's just, it's such a special week. It's such a special game that we, as we've talked about, and hopefully you can hear the excitement in my voice. Yeah, I can. And, and I'm telling you, we've got a great swath of guests uh, throughout this week to give you these different perspectives of excitement. We're going to talk to the Alumni Association. We're going to talk to a plebe athlete uh, preparing for her first Army-Navy game uh, as a member of the Brigade of Midshipmen. We're going to talk to uh, Niamat, Coach Newberry, uh, members of the Brotherhood, uh, particularly Class of 71 Brotherhood members, Bill McKinney and Mike Hekimovich to talk about their exciting 11 to 7 victory over Army in 1971. So we've got a great swath of people coming your way this week. First of all, we're going to get to it on this episode with Pete Medhurst, Ashley Pelzik, and recently inducted Hall of Famer Louis Nicolau. Stick with us here on Six Second Sports. When we come back, you'll be hearing from the voice of Navy Sports, Pete Medhurst. We'll be right back. This week's episode of Sing Second Sports is brought to you by our sponsors at Red Red Wine Bar and Dry 85 in downtown Annapolis. Coming to town for a football game? Is it your class reunion? Or just looking for a place to chill on a Friday or Saturday night? Red Red Wine Bar and Dry 85 are staples in the Annapolis Main Street scene. Whether you're in the mood for a good Cabernet at the wine bar or an old fashioned and a Dry 85 burger, both locations will take care of you. Special thank you to Brian and Lisa Bolter, the owners of both establishments, for being fantastic supporters of the Sing Second Sports podcast. Now back to the pod. Hey, hey, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Um, as part of our Army-Navy Week coverage, we are very, very happy to be joined by the voice of Navy football and basketball, the voice of Navy sports, let's just say, Pete Medhurst. Pete, one of the hardest working men in uh, sports, uh, did the uh, William and Mary game last week. Uh, we'll talk to him a little bit more um, about what he's looking at with the uh, basketball team. But obviously this week our focus is singular, and that's on the Army game on Saturday up there at MetLife in East Rutherford. So, Pete, number one, it's been a while. Thank you very much for joining the podcast in between your bowls of cereal. And number two <laughs> – Walk us through, you know, you asked some pretty good questions of Nehemiah and Newberry this week uh, during the pressers. What, what are your thoughts um, on how we can actually get into uh, MetLife and then walk out of there with a victory against Army? I, I go back to last year's game uh, amidst a pandemic, amidst a roster situation where you had a quarterback. Uh, thrust into a situation, making his uh, first start. Oh, it's in the Army-Navy game. No, wait a minute. It's not a neutral field. It's at West Point. Team was prepared. Uh, team had an opportunity. Uh, big explosive run. I mean, if our line finishes that run and gets into the end zone, there's a good possibility the mids win that game 7-3 with the way the defense was playing. So I, I have every confidence in this coaching staff to have this team prepared. The defense will be great again. They understand that Army's really thrown the ball a little bit better. Uh, not that they're throwing it, you know, 25 times a game. Let's not, uh, you know, mistake what they're doing for, you know, something drastically different. But their execution in their play-action passing game is, is, is much better this year. And you have to give Army credit. Uh, 
uh, for that. You got to be ready uh, for that. So I-, I think this team will be prepared. I think this thing is a dog fight right to the end again. And I think we're going to see a low scoring game again, because I think both defenses uh, are so good at what they do that, you know, barring an explosive play or a busted coverage by one of the sides on defense, you know, this game, I think mimics almost what we saw last year where this thing goes down to the fourth quarter before it's decided again. So we've been talking about the next man up mentality, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. And I don't think it's a discussion, you know, which side of the ball has really been what we can rely on this year. And that was the defensive side. Now a new wrinkle this past week, last week with uh, the departure of Johnny Hodges uh, from the linebacking core. You know, what are your thoughts on the attrition there and, and how much it might affect them against an army team that'll probably really pressure the linebackers uh, and the defensive front with the offense that they run. You hate losing good players. Uh, There's no doubt about that. Johnny was the second leading tackler on the team at the time. Uh, You hate to see him leave the football program. Uh, But if there's a position that has really exceeded expectations, and I know it's hard to say that because Diego Fago plays the position. But P.J. Volker has done an amazing job with those guys in the middle. Because when you go back to when Will Harbor, you know, won the job, you had a defection right before camp started of a guy that you thought was going to be the starter right alongside of him. So Will steps in, does the job, gets hurt. Hodges has to come in, does the job, plays well. Fletcher comes in, does the job, plays well. Ramos gets the start last week, gives you some really quality snaps uh, for a young player. And all of a sudden, you know, even though there are a lot of FRs and SOs next to the names on defense, I have I tell people this this is not college football 45 years ago. This isn't college football 60 years ago where, oh, we've got a freshman. He's got to play. Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? These kids are so much better now. So much more skilled, so much more talented when they get to the college level. Look at the programs we're grabbing kids from uh, right now. I mean, John Marshall out of Gonzaga. I mean, we're pulling kids out of the WCAC all of a sudden. Uh, and, and those kids are ready to play. They've played against DeMatha and St. John's uh, and Good Counsel before they've gotten here. They've played against big-time Division One college football players in their time leading up to the time they get here. So they're not wowed by the environment. They have to certainly understand assignment football much better at the Division One level. There's much greater detail that you're playing at. But when you have a coaching staff and individual guys that are so gifted at what they do in teaching the game and teaching the position, it's no surprise that when called upon a Harbor, a Fletcher, a Hodges, a Ramos, I mean, Max Sandlin was out on the field for some snaps the other day. Uh, look at Reed up at defensive end. He's played like six snaps. And every, like, it seems like every time you're seeing 58 make a play uh, when he's on the field. You look at the sophomore nose guards. I mean, this, this, this coaching staff has done a tremendous job, no matter what the adversity thrown at it, developing players. And in college football, for a program like Navy, a Navy team that's a rarity in college football that, that is allowed to be an older program. You, you actually will have seniors. You know, your third-year guys are not empty in the tank and then headed for the NFL draft. Our guys stick around for the most part uh, for, for four years. So th- that player development 
uh, can't be understated enough with the job uh, that they've done getting guys ready to play in those positions um, when the time has come. Yeah, so before I kick it over to Wags, you mentioned the coaching staff and what they've done to develop these guys. I think now with the recent uh, you know, departures, Kenny's like the eighth longest tenured head coach in uh, FCS. You know, what, what does that tell you, you know, when Lincoln Riley just kind of escapes like the Baltimore Colts uh, under cover of night to go out to USC, Brian Kelly going down to LSU? You know, what, what is the continuity on the coaching staff meant as you have observed this team over the years as the play-by-play guy? Well, I think it means everything. I mean, because when you're trying to teach the game, you know, there's a reason why Ivan Jasper had quarterbacks ready to go each and every year in this triple option for the most part. And this is one of the few times they've run into a situation where you had quarterbacks with virtually no experience. Last year's teaching was not the same because of the pandemic. They weren't even practicing uh, the same way. So the freshmen, the freshmen were barely visible, uh, you know, at the beginning of camp last year, let alone uh, get the normal tutelage um, that they were getting. And that's how you end up in a situation like this this year. I mean, you, know, you end up with a couple of sophomores and a junior that just virtually not played. And sometimes it takes a little more time for young players uh, to pick up this system. We've got fewer and fewer kids. I mean, if you're a high school team and you start running the triple option, parents are crying to the AD, screaming to the AD. My kid can't get a college scholarship because your high school coach is running the triple option or the you know single wing or the wing T or something like that. Um, and so it's becoming harder and harder, you know, outside of a De La Salle out in California. I can't think of a major high school program right now that is running anything remotely close to the triple option. So that means now there's much more teaching that has to go on when they get here. Sometimes it takes a little bit more time to, to get those guys to get it, to understand it. And let's face it, it's not just, hey, I'm going to turn right. I'm going to fake it into this dude's belly. Oh, okay, I'm going to keep it. I'm going to run or I'm going to pitch. There's so much more that goes into it. It's just taking a little bit longer. Uh, with this group in particular, but Ty continues to show you signs that he's getting the full offense because the three drives in the second half after what occurred in the first, that's what gives you hope that, you know, you're thinking he's going to be the quarterback, not only of now, but the future and seeing him respond to adversity in the same game was very encouraging. I thought on Saturday. Great analysis as usual, Pete Wags. Well, Pete, looking ahead at the Army-Navy game, I'm considering the last service academy games Navy's played, Air Force and this season and Army last season, and did not move the ball at all. Just could not get the running game going. I have kind of thought in my head, and I've, I've developed this after watching Navy incorporate some very nice short passing elements into the offense, tie with his ability to throw a nice ball, some good receivers, and – Mark Walker and Jaden Umbarger and Michael Cooper, of course, and uh, even could throw it out of the backfield to Isaac Ross or Chance Warren. I would like to see Navy try to loosen up Army with some passing elements because Army has defended Navy so well the last few seasons, and I, I just I'm not going to be able to take a bunch of three and outs uh, if it's just fullback up the middle, quarterback off tackle. I want to see some in, innovation here and a real attempt to get the ball down the field. Your thoughts? Do you think that may happen? Well, I would caution you in both games, Ty Levitai didn't play. 
And, and I think that is what, you know, gives you hope here. I mean, Xavier was thrust into this situation. Hey, you're a freshman. I uh, haven't started a game. Oh, by the way, the game's at West Point. Good luck. And, you know, he was playing virtually like, you know, his third game uh, against Air Force earlier this year. Not the most ideal situations. Ty's got so much more experience right now leading into this game. And to your point about the passing, there's no question that you look at the concepts that they have shown us. These concepts work. The offensive line, despite nine different combinations starting for Navy, has really given Ty the last couple of weeks and Xavier and his touchdown pass in the game the other day. That offensive line has done a solid job from a protection standpoint. And if you go back, if you go back to the East Carolina game, I mean, if Mark Walker doesn't fumble that football, you know, they, they probably, they at least put BJ and Nichols in the position to kick a field goal and potentially uh, win that game. So we've seen Cooper, we've seen Umbarger, we've seen Walker, we've seen Chance Warren the last two weeks uh, be utilized incredibly well. But also we've seen Labatai, you know, early in the game Saturday, there were pass plays there. Guys were running wide open. He, he was just throwing missiles at guys instead of maybe putting a little bit more air and using uh, you know, a little parachute underneath of the ball uh, to come down. But the concepts are there. The concepts are open. It's just simple player execution. And we've seen that uh, be dramatically more efficient uh, the last couple of weeks. And to your point, yes, they, they, Kenny, Kenny understands completely. They're going to have to throw the ball successfully uh, at times in this game. Uh, if they're going to beat Army coming up. And, I mean, let's face it, th this is their bowl game this year because they're not playing another game uh, after this week. So while these games are conservative in nature, I do believe that um, th this staff will try to continue to utilize those concepts. They know that Army's going to have a bunch of guys in the box. Army's physical. Uh, they they played Navy as well uh, as anybody. So I I'm with you in complete agreement. Those concepts are going to have to be in use uh, in this game coming up, and obviously the players are going to be the ones that are the key to executing them and making those concepts work. Agreed with you, buddy. Hey, so uh, I don't know if you have adopted my handle for Jaden Umbarger, but I have started referring to him as Mr. Reverse. It is absolutely <laughs> uncanny. I don't think he's had one single reverse that did not go for big-time yardage, not just positive yardage, but big-time yardage, double-digit yardage, and kudos to the coaching staff for knowing exactly the right time to dial it up, but also to Jaden, who's an Archbishop Spalding product here in Anne Arundel County, for performing and, and, and making these reverses work, and he's made a couple guys miss. I think there was a reverse where a guy had a shot at him in the backfield, and he made that guy miss and turned it into a 14-yard gain. But give us an example of a Pete Medhurst call Something. It's a reverse Humbarger. Come on, give me a Pete Metters special. Well, the big thing is, is uh, from for the most part, uh, this play is called when Jaden is lined up to the short side of the field. So if you see, and I'm not trying to give away trade secrets to the Black Knights, but I mean, uh, because you want Umbarger running to the wide side of the field, you want him to be able to run that thing out. So uh, you know, love the time. Pitch to Umbarger around the right side, makes a man miss, and there he goes for 28, the first down. Uh, for the midshipman, but you're right. It, it's he's done a terrific job with it, but it, it is all about feel and play call and setting that up. And 
what I think you'll also, when we saw this last week, because Joe and I thought maybe it was coming on a certain play last week, but what they do is because it's been so successful, they can run that formation, put him on the short side. Now, all of a sudden, that guy on the opposite side of the field can't be as aggressive coming down the line of scrimmage to attack the fullback. And because he has to honor the fact that Umbarger is lined up on that opposite side and that play could be coming at him at any time. So it, it's you put that on tape, not only because Jaden can run it, but you put it on tape multiple times because you want that defensive end. You want that linebacker. You want that corner on the opposite side of the field to not feel he can be as aggressive at coming in and participating in the run game because he has to honor uh, the, the receiver on the other side of the field. Because, I trust me, when the coaches see the safety, linebacker, defensive end, outside linebacker on that side of the field vacating his spot, coming in to attack the run, because obviously Navy's going to run it 90% of the time, that's when they call that play, and that's why there's nobody on the other side of the field uh, when Umbarger gets there, uh, because they've set the play up perfectly, uh, seeing how aggressive those guys on the backside of the defense are playing. It's a great point, Pete. You're right, and uh, you know that Army, having done its homework, will keep a guy home to prevent that reverse, and that's just fine. That's one less defender that's involved with certain plays, one less guy you have to block. Um, so wrapping up, I mean, do you feel good? I mean, uh, there's a lot of positives to come out of this season, as hard as that is to say. We mentioned the young players on defense and certainly young players on offense as well. A lot of young sophomores and, and youngsters along the offensive line, the two young quarterbacks, uh, some young skilled position talent. I can't wait to see what Mikel Haywood looks like in a couple seasons. I think he's going to be a superstar. Um, do you feel the future looks bright for Navy moving ahead? I think if you take into account, Bill, the fact that they're the only team in college football that's played 11 bowl eligible teams. Temple is the only team on the schedule this entire year that's not bowl eligible. We, we knew the schedule was going to be tough. You've written about it. We've talked about it on the radio. You guys have talked about it on the podcast here because, I mean, it's just fact. I mean, they've played 11 bowl-eligible teams. Nobody else in the country has done that. So I think if there's anything, if there's a silver lining that has come out of this season, it has been player development, as I was talking about with John earlier, about the linebackers and, and the guys on defense. But, look, the fact that since Air Force, for the most part, give or take a few plays here and there, Ty has managed to stay healthy. It's given him the valuable, incredibly valuable game time development that Kenny, Ivan, the rest of the offensive staff have needed to help him get better. Nothing gets a quarterback better than seeing his play on film, being able to go back and, and look and say, hey, here, if you see this guy do this, if you see that guy do this, you know, this is what's going to make that better. We've seen the distribution to the perimeter be exquisite this season. It didn't exist last year. A-backs might as well have taken the year off from a ball-carrying standpoint uh, a year ago. They've made – I mean, Carlino Sacy, you know, has been tremendous uh, out on the perimeter uh, this year. So, uh, from that standpoint, I think if this staff had, you know, kind of gotten stale or given up the ghost, there wouldn't be as good a player development as we've seen all across the board. And, you know, it's not like just one assistant coach is dominating his position and nobody else's. We're seeing it all across the board. As, as we mentioned earlier, you know, nine different offensive line combinations. That's, that's Ashley and Danny continuing to work incredibly hard to develop guys like a Jamie Romo who had played basically for two years. It's called upon to be a starter. He's played really good football. 
uh, since they've included him. That's awesome to see the St. Mary's product uh, stepping up and getting a chance to play and delivering for the mids in that situation. So that's what gives me hope uh, is this staff in the face of tons of adversity this year. Uh, we're still dealing with certain aspects of the pandemic. We're, st- we're dealing with one of the toughest schedules in the country, two top 10 teams. Uh, you know, one of them, they played to a one possession game. So that's what gives me plenty of encouragement. And obviously for those that have been with Kenny the entire way, guys together that have won over a hundred games uh, as a staff. And, you know, I certainly think they've earned the opportunity to fix it. And they've shown you incrementally as the season has gone along with how competitive they've been in a number of these games that they're getting much closer to the product that they're used to having. And I think we'll see the fruits of that labor uh, coming up, not only this week against Army, but I think we'll certainly see that next season. Thanks, Pete. You're the absolute best. I'll throw it back to John. Well, Pete, I was reminded when you did your faux Umbarger reverse call of what I thought was one of the most impressive calls ever was the Carlinos AC long run. I thought we were in Baton Rouge the way that you were calling out five-yard increments, 45-50, I think Johnny Holiday for Maryland would have had to be hospitalized if he tried to do that. But um, yeah, again, you're, you're, an, you're a complete pro at what you do, and we appreciate you joining us as we go out. The, the only thing I'll ask you, last week when we were talking to your partner in crime for basketball, Mike Heary, he said that Navy had won every single uniform battle since the special uniforms came out. Um, I think we're on the 12th year of that. I, I disagree. I think the one year Army won is when they had the white one during the snow when we had the Blue Angels uniforms, no disrespect to the Blue Angels uniforms, but I thought the white ones for Army were sick. In your opinion, like, you know, what are this year's uniforms like? It doesn't really matter, you know, in terms of the game, but, you know, how special has has the uniform reveals made the rivalry in terms of brand recognition on college game day and nationally that will help recruiting? I mean, John, you look at everywhere. I mean, I mean, how many for years have we talked about how many, Different uniforms Oregon has had, um, you know, they and obviously at the home of Nike right there, they've got a special advantage. But, you know, look at the the uniforms that Maryland has turned out with Under Armour through the years and with what Navy has done with Under Armour through the years. If you don't believe and I, obviously I have two kids that played college basketball, one that coaches in college basketball right now. Gear means stuff to kids. I mean, you're part that's part of establishing your brand. If you look cool, look, I mean, Navy's dominated Twitter this week uh, since the uniform reveal. The video that came out, uh, go to Navy Athletics on Twitter and you can see the uniform reveal video uh, that they put together uh, as well. That has all become part of marketing your brand. And when you do it successfully, it catches people's eyes. And if you have a, a kid that, you know, there are kids that will make a decision on whether stuff looks really cool or not. And it it just, it helps with the brand marketing. It helps sell merchandise, which of course um, helps your, your budget uh, as well. And that let, let, I don't think that can be lost on uh, what happens here. We're trying to sell some merchandise and I would agree with you that if you were, if, if we were, if it was like a boxing match and we got three judges at ringside, and one of them wanted to give Army a 10-9 or even a 10-10 round uh, for that white uniform that, look, it only turned out okay because it was snowing on top of it with the infantry 
uh, that in the mountain infantry division that that represented and what they did. So that's the only time I think Army could have got a 10-10 round out of this. Otherwise, it's been Navy in a landslide uh, for any judge at ringside uh, that is judging uh, the uniform battle. That's a testament to, to Greg Morgan Thaler, the folks at Under Armour, and everybody with Navy all collaborating on that uh, to put the uniform together. It, it's really a, another tremendous, tremendous look coming up into the game. But you know what? You know, like Mike and I were talking about yesterday, winning the uniform battle is one thing. The team sometimes that has the prettiest uniform doesn't win the game. So we got to go make sure we take care of business on Saturday up at MedLife Stadium. That ultimately will make that uniform look even better if the mids are singing second coming up on Saturday. Oh, you're going to you're going to take our job from us, Pete. Uh, I, I'm, I, that, we're going to end on that right there. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Pete Medhurst, the voice of Navy sports, really appreciate your time. Stay warm uh, on Saturday uh, up there in MetLife, and hopefully we can celebrate a victory with you afterwards. Always good to be with you guys. Appreciate what you do for Navy athletics. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Pete Medhurst. Thank you so much to him. Hey, we're going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to be joined by a recurring guest to break down women's basketball, Ashley Pelzik, and she is going to tell us her plans for Army-Navy and what her prediction is. So stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. For the last several podcasts, you've heard our guests talk about the great new Army-Navy uniforms that just came out. Well, all the latest Navy Under Armour sideline gear is available by clicking on the shop tab at NavySports.com. All of your favorite jerseys, polos, and t-shirts, and the new Army-Navy merchandise is just a click away at NavySports.com. And if you're like the Sing Second team, there's always Navy gear and Navy tickets under the tree this time of year. Visit NavySports.com backslash tickets to purchase your Navy basketball tickets today. They make the perfect Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Festivus, you name it. They make the perfect gift for any Navy fan. Now back to the pod. All right, we are back. Um, as part of our Army Navy Week coverage, we are so happy to be joined by my old shipmate, Ashley Pelzik, uh, former women's basketball player and friend of the pod. Number one, Pels, um, I, I have to ask you, as the Navy uniform reveal came out and the video was being shot and you saw old good ship 77 uh, as a major part. Oh, goodness gracious. So it's an audio medium, but Pels is already decked out with her uh, best aviator fly Navy gear. Uh, Pels, number one, what'd you think of the uniform and the aviator in you, the F-18er in you, um, had to have been totally geeked about the video showing your old and my old ship? Uh, it was unbelievable. It's, you know, oddly enough, I'm still a part of a couple of chats with some of my old F-18 friends and I knew about it. I mean, I woke up to a flurry of texts about how incredible this was. So if their goal at least at a very micro level, was to get support from the F-18 community, they blew that out of the water. I mean, our entire chat probably bought the Navy Sports Store out within 15 minutes of that going on sale. So uh, I think it's incredible. The attention to detail is fantastic. You know, they could have done this in a number of ways, um, but I think, you know, holding to the homage of the heritage of the uniform dating back, as well as even the details. I mean, personally, I think the visor, that gold, Mirror advisor is unbelievable. And that's probably a piece a lot of people gloss over a bit. But uh, no, in terms of capturing the, the, you know, red, white and blue theme, all of that stuff, you know, there's some haters out there 
But objectively, I don't think I've seen a cleaner uniform in a long time. I think it's the best in the history of the uniform reveals for either team. And I think I heard, John, previously, you mentioned you referred to the white uniform that Army had. Agree. I think previously that was one of the, the sharpest uniforms. But this is just this is far better than anything we've seen in the rivalry. And I think Under Armour was under a bit of pressure to come back from last year. You know, I'm also wearing my uh, my jacket from last year, which I thought was cool. It got a little bit of, you know, mixed reviews. But this year, just total comeback. I know. I, I kind of felt like Ward Carroll was back here with us seeing the old John Paul Jones crypt marble jacket that you're wearing there. So, you know, number one, my, my first uh, inclination when I saw the video for the uniform reveal was like PTSD. I thought Will Pennington was going to come on the one MC and call us a bunch of booger eating morons. But that aside for, for you, what, what does the uniform actually mean? So Pete was talking about it before and he made a great point that kids nowadays are very interested in gear, probably a lot more than people from the class of 06 like you, class of 96 uh, like me, not class of 96 at Navy, but you know what I mean. But what is, you know, a lot of people throw it away as like, ah, it's just like, uh, you know, it's it's just to create buzz. I, I think that it actually has second and third order effects that affect recruiting. So you talked about buying out the store that day. You know, what are your impressions for how important this is in the now and going forward? That's a fantastic question. And there's so many elements here. I think sort of at a high level, two main things come out of that. The, the, the important thing is, one, it's a way for us to give back to the organization, right? I mean, I think even yesterday on Giving Tuesday or sorry, two days ago now, you know, they have an effort for us to give back to the teams that helped us. And our, the, the Navy women's basketball team, we got on our chat and made sure we were all at least donating something to a, an organization that has meant so much to us, that has carried us so far in life. And that's what this is, right? It's a way for us to show our spirit, but also give back and fund uh, a school that has really, really brought us to, to new heights, uh, both literally and figuratively. So I think from that aspect, it's really important. I think separately, one thing I'll touch on that I've seen mixed reviews on is that Navy tends to focus on either the officers or in this case, just the F-18. And some have said, we just had the Blue Angels. Well, this is different. I think what the F-18 embodies, and of course, I'm, object, I'm you know, a, a biased when it comes to this, given my background, the F-18 community, but it demonstrates the collective effort for every single person on that aircraft carrier to get that aircraft not only up and ready to fly, but also off the flight deck. So they did a great job of demonstrating some of the folks and the crew that are involved in that, whether that's the people that refuel the aircraft, maintain it, fly it, doesn't matter. The only thing I'll say, which I think they could have done a better effort in, and again, this comes from my bias, is, is as a recruiting effort, which is important, we need to continue to recruit. I think they could have done a little bit of a better job in the video, which was incredible, by the way, with a little bit of the diversity factor. I felt like they could have had a female in one of the in the you know, front seat or back seat. It's something actually that caught the attention of a few of my friends. And, and it's not something we always focus on, but it, it stuck out to us a bit more. And I think the longer we got out of the military, me now about four and a half years, the more you realize that stuff is important, not just because of the it's a goal at the high levels of the Navy, but really because it actually, if you're really trying to put a recruiting effort out there, you really want that to hit home to every single person watching that video to say, hey, I could actually be in an F-18 someday. So I think that's my one, you know, a, a bit of a nitpick on it. But otherwise, I mean, I just think for those two reasons I already said, it was such a cool, it, it just went above and beyond just, hey, this is a t-shirt I'm going to buy. It really brought Navy's fans back and it gives us faith. I mean, the season's been tough, right? But now I'm probably more amped up than I've been in years for the Army-Navy game 
just because, you know, despite our losing record this year, just because of how much we're promoting this game and how, how great we're looking towards the end of the season. Heck yeah. Well, I'm going to kick it to Wags here in a second. I know Chris Cervello, the old yellow jersey, uh, was excited about the video and seeing all the different colors out there. Um, for you, let's transition into women's basketball before we get uh, back into um, the game this coming Saturday. Here's Navy in the midst of a three-game losing streak. Tough loss to Mason um, last week, uh, pre uh, preceded by, you know, two really tough losses, blowout losses to Fairfield and Liberty. The silver lining there is Jen Coleman dropping 30 points here, dropping double-doubles there. What are your impressions of Toolman Tim Taylor's squad so far um, as they start getting closer and closer to Patriot League season? Yeah, I think this season really is a true tune-up. I think, you know, what's tough and what we have to remember was last year it was just, you know, such an unbelievably tough year for these kids coming into a new coach, new program, new system. Um, and I think they're showing a lot of resiliency. I think when you break it down further, the tough part for them is they've just been so inconsistent. They've had a low shooting percentage, which is really, it's difficult to win games when you're not, in, when you're not scoring on the other opponent. They're also... And I think about eight rebounds behind or so they lead in steals. You know, their defense is clearly because they're the teams aren't that are blowing them out are still scoring in the 60s, 70s. They're not losing 90 to 50 or, you know, so I think if they can do better than 55 or so points a game, get that up to 65, 70, they're right in it with these teams. Um, and I think they'll continue to find that, you know, as, as difficult as it is to take some losses early on. It's important to remember that the real heart of the season, as you just touched on, is the Patriot League portion. It doesn't really matter wins and losses before that. It's how you perform when it comes to the Patriot League. And I think, you know, back in my time there, the teams that really understood that were the Holy Crosses. You know, they were dominant. And what they did is they really beefed up the front part of their season. They played UConns. They played really tough teams, even if that meant they were going to lose and have a, uh, a little bit of a poorer record than some of the other teams. They knew that come Patriot League time, they were a suitcase. And I think Navy is using these games as a bit of a tune-up to really figure out who they are. I mean, I think, Jen, as you mentioned, Coleman is just unbelievable. No, I haven't seen a player with this kind of scoring average in a really long time in this program because this program tends to have a bit of a spread offense. Um, so I think if they can find a couple of players to step up more frequently and more consistently, then they'll they'll find that balance. And they've got a couple of sophomores and, and you know younger folks that I think can fill that role. I just think it's a, it's a matter of time. Um, and I'm actually attending the game at Boston University here on January 2nd. So I'm actually really excited to finally catch a game in person and be able to uh, to see them live. And, and hopefully, you know, they'll start that winning streak come come that time of year. Hopefully uh, they have that elite athlete, Sam Schofield, back from uh, from injury by then. Wax? Well, yeah, pals, I was going to ask you about, uh, and I don't know how much you've been able to evaluate the personnel, but like you, we John just said, Jen Coleman is the Russell Westbrook of Patriot League women's basketball. She's good for a, double-double, if not a triple-double. She's averaging 22 points a game, just under 10 rebounds per game. She's going to give you steals, going to give you assists. She's doing all she can, but she, she needs help. And uh, I'll, I've got to talk to Coach Tim Taylor, but Colby Green is no longer on the roster. She's gone. She didn't play in the Navy Classic. I noticed she was not in either game, and my mind immediately returned to a couple years ago when Stephanie Pemper uh, had issues with Colby and had to – put her off the roster. And then coach Taylor came in and said, you know, we'll, you know, I'll, I'll start fresh, new, new start for everyone. Uh, but Colby is the only other player averaging double figures. And now it appears she's not even with the team anymore. 
when you look at this roster, where are the points going to come from other than Jen Coleman? It's a fantastic question, right? Jen Coleman's averaging about half their points per game, which is, again, just an insane statistic. Um, and her percentages are up there. I mean, she's she's averaging, what, 38 minutes a game? I mean, she's just she's a workhorse, and that's so impressive. But you can't put it all on that one player. Um, and I think, you know, to your point, I don't know much personally about the, about the Colby Green background, but beyond her, you know, you're seeing folks average, I think at best is, is Watts after that with about seven points. Um, and then Mimi Schrader, who's an up and coming, you know, young player. And I actually see a lot of promise with her, um, and think she's, she's going to be the real deal here in the future, but they've got to find that person. There's always got to be that balance, right? So for example, on the earlier teams I played on, you know, Courtney Davidson, uh, Davidson now O'Brien was phenomenal, but you couldn't just guard her. We had Adrian Rossetti, Kate Maslowski on the inside. You know, if you just double down or triple on Courtney, then we would beat you up in the, in, in the paint. Uh, same with Miley Shimoda at point guard. We had such a punch with three point shooting that you just couldn't leave anybody untouched on the perimeter. So, and that, that played into my years there, you know, we, nece- we weren't necessarily as talented as that those two teams were my first two years but we still had a balance. We had three point shooters across. I mean, some of the best three point shooters in the history of the program with Abby Campbell, Lawrence Skrell, some of the highest free throw shooters. I mean, again, free throw shooting is plaguing the team a bit this year too. You can't, you have to find a, a, an area where you're really good at it and make sure you're at least winning that category every game. It can't just be steals. That can't be the only place that you're beating the opponent. And it, it, they have to find someone else that can step up because Coleman has a, a, a down game. I mean, then you're looking at like 20 points potentially for this team based on our average. And that's a scary, that's a scary stat. So again, I don't know who it's going to be. I haven't seen them enough in person, um, but I'm, I'm excited for the rest of the team because this truly is an opportunity for really a few people to step up. Well, and you're so right. Cause in Patriot league, you know, that the, the opponents really dial in on what you do well and try to take it away. So they're all going to be trying to stop Jen Coleman. Someone else is going to have to step up and, you mentioned it. I mean, you those teams you mentioned, you could go inside to Adrian Rossetti, but th- right now there is no inside scoring. Sierra Hurtlandy, who's the really the only true front court player, is only averaging three points a game. So they don't really have anyone they can throw it inside to and have a post up threat. It's pretty much five out offense. Yeah, exactly. And if these coaches, you better believe the Patriot League coaches are some of the best at studying, understanding, putting in defenses for Navy, you know, I mean, in each other, right? They play each other twice a year, you see it all. Um, and you, you better believe come Patriot League time, they're going to put some tough defenders on Coleman. And it's not going to be as easy as some of these other earlier games where that, you know, one and done, um, and they're, they're recruiting and scouting for multiple teams per week. So they've got to figure it out. But the good news is they've got time to figure it out. Great analysis, Ashley. Thanks. So, Pels, I'll ask you as we go out, you know, and, and I've talked to Mike Curie a lot about this in the past, being that Army-Navy is always during your basketball season, how did you do Army-Navy's as a varsity athlete and, and a, you know, a substantive player on a team for four years? Did you go to the Army-Navy games or were you always not there because you either had your own game or practice or stuff like that? Yeah, it's a good question. It's uh, it was a bit of a mixed bag. I believe we went to the games in person my youngster year and my senior year, so uh, sophomore and senior year, and uh, it was really cool. And we did get to go. Unfortunately, youngster year was the game where it was a snowball. It was absolutely freezing in Philadelphia. It was our first taste in person. Uh, I remember some of the firsties getting in snowball fights because you know they were planning on marching on, and we just had to stand there in ice with our core frames. Um, I think I spent the first quarter in the bathroom trying to get warm again. So 
but that all that to say, you know, that's one of those experiences you kind of have to live through. And in, in retrospect, it's one of the more fun games. Um, we were lucky on the basketball team. I think the two years we didn't get to go in person. And again, as a reminder, because I love to bring this up, the, my plebe year was the year we started the streak of 14 wins. So we had an awesome four years to celebrate beating Army. And our first year, we brought physical sweeps because that's how arrogant we got by that point to the game that we marched out with. So that was pretty brutal. Uh, but yeah, it was awesome. And our other two years of the team always got together. So coach either Sanchez or Marriott did a great job getting us together for a meal, watched the game in person, made sure it was a place we had dedicated space for because um, we were either traveling for a game or, or playing a game at home. So we were lucky. If anything, it reminds you, even if you're not at the game, the importance of what that game means for every sport. So it got us hyped up for Army Navy women's basketball. The rivalry was really great while we were there. Army had an awesome team all four years and, and we were really competitive. I think we split the series uh, four years. So it was, it was a really cool thing to, to be in support of. Um, but again, it was awesome to be a part of such a, such a winning dynasty. Well, we encourage arrogance here on the Sing Second Sports Podcast, so no problems there. Um, as we go out, I'm just going to ask you, number one, are you going to the game? Number two, what are your predictions? Um, you know, what do you think is going to happen? Will we be singing second? So I unfortunately won't be at the game, but it's for good reason. I'll be at the Green Bay Bears game, and uh, I'll be at Lambeau for Bears Packers. So I'm psyched. So we're going to find a spot in Green Bay to, uh, to watch the game on Saturday. But uh, I think I think we're going to win this year. I've got a good feeling. We've been playing really well. Um, you know, Army started off hot, and then they've kind of I don't want to say petered out, but I haven't seen. You know, they've they've had a tougher end of the season. We've come on really strong. We've helped, you know been head to head with just about every strong team we've played, whether you know Houston, Memphis, Cincinnati. Really, really strong performances, and then the win against Temple was big, uh, and even the play against ECU was really strong. So. I think Navy's finding themselves. I think uh, the shakeup mid-year has been really helpful just in terms of them kind of coming back to what Navy football is all about. And I, I think we pull this one. I think it'll be close. I think it'll be a ground game. I'm hoping the weather's bad just because that always makes it more fun. Um, but I'm going to go 21-14 Navy this year. Oh, it sounds like another under prediction here. Well, pals, number one, uh, Chris Cervello and I highly recommend Hinterland right across the street from uh, Lambeau Field for your viewing pleasure. Amazing beers. Uh, only get one order of the cheese curds or else you will be miserable for the next two days afterwards. Uh, but enjoy Green Bay. Uh, thanks for supporting Navy women's basketball as always. Hopefully they bring home a big win against BU up there uh, when they visit your hometown and uh, go Navy beat Army. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Ashley Pelza, class of 06 women's basketball alum. Uh, we are going to go to break. When we come back, we're going to finish off this Army-Navy Week special pod with a conversation with recent Hall of Famer Louis Nicolau, the head coach of the Water Polo Squad. So stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. Thanks again for listening to Sing Second Sports. A special thank you to our sponsors, Academy Consulting, Dry 85 and Red Red Wine Bar, The Graduate Hotel, and Sheehy Lexus of Annapolis. Now back to the pod. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back on this, our Army-Navy Week special daily pod segments. This is the coaching segment, and we are so happy to be joined by friend of the pod, class of 92 legend, recent inductee into the Water Polo Hall of Fame. That is head coach Louis Nicolau. Number one, Coach Nicolau, thank you so much for joining us. Number two, let's get right into it. You know, lead strong. What are your thoughts on what's going to happen Saturday up in New York? Are you going to be there? What's your tailgating plan? And does Navy win? Of course I'm going to be there. 
this is one of the one of the big reasons why I came back was to be part of these festivities. Yes. We have a tailgate. Navy Water Polo does a tailgate every year. We're going to, I think, may have over 60 people this weekend with friends and family. So we're excited. As the W, uh, we don't have a choice. We have to win. You know, you look at our strength of schedule versus Army. Come on. You know, uh, I know it's going to be a battle, but um, anything less than a win will be disappointing. Uh, I have to ask, one of the highlights from the last game that fans could attend, um, not last year, the the farce and debacle that took place at West Point, but the year before that, as the players are going off the field, there's a very famous video on YouTube of a fan reaching over the railing, <laughs> trying to high-five the players, and all of a sudden that fan gets grabbed and goes like ass over tea kettle down to the ground, and it ends up being Stevie Salata. I, I have to ask you, as you know, a water polo legend, you know, should he not have been more athletic and kept himself up there on the railing? Well, if you knew Stevie as a player, he's not very athletic. So <laughs> that's no surprise. And it's no surprise he did a header there. It's one of those top 10 moments for Navy water polo that you got to find a way to put on the loop and our social media. Um, some don't find humor in it, but it, it was classic. It was, that was a one in a lifetime moment there. So we'll, we'll re, I'm sure we live that down the road here. Uh, we love it. We, anything involving Saul dog is great. So that leads me to question number two involving the Salada family, you know, of your two roommates, uh, notable roommates on your first ship, you know, Jerry Donahoe, the owner of Mills, fine wine and spirits, friend of the pod, you know, and, and you know, let's talk about Jason Salato. Which of those two roommates was the better SWO, better ship driver? You know, who had the smellier, uh, you know, pile of laundry? What are your thoughts there? Well, that's a tough question. I mean, I think there's no doubt that I, I probably saved both those guys from jail at one point or time. On, on <laughs> um, you know, it's uh, I think they would argue a different case. They both talked a good game, but I'd have to say Jerry was, you know, Jerry. To his credit, he worked harder than me and Jason, if you can believe that. Um, he was down in the down in the trenches in, uh, in engineering and had a tough boss. So I had to get the nod to Jerry there, although Jason could talk a good game. Jerry actually had to work, unlike Jason Lai, who kind of found more free time, believe it or not. <laughs> Which is why Jason is a Navy captain today. So let's jump into the season, Coach. The last time I saw you was at the end of the, uh, of the conference final against Fordham. Unfortunately, it didn't go the way you guys wanted, a tough 9-6 loss, finishing the season 0-3 against Fordham. But kind of like Navy football, if you look at your schedule from the past season, it included the likes of Cal, Stanford, Princeton, UCLA, and then a huge win over number three GW in the semis to get to that Fordham match. And your commentary afterwards was, hey, it was just like all year. We were right there and we just couldn't finish. How do you evaluate this in the end, you know, in terms of, of a season coming off of COVID, reaching the final, not going over the finish line? What were your thoughts on how everything played out this past season? Sure. For me, it was one of those situations. And I hate these games as what if games that we could, you know, what if this, what if that walk off the pool deck and had to win? I mean, it's, it's one thing to lose with your head high and knowing to give you a best shot. We didn't play well. We made a lot of mistakes. But at the same time, it's who we were all year. You know, like to quote Bill, Bill Parcells, our, our, our record is what, is what it is. We lost to Fordham three times. They're the better team. Uh, in some of those big losses to Air Force and Santa Clara and Fordham and Princeton, we couldn't score to save our lives. And you throw on top of that a couple of defensive mistakes, we lost 14 games for a reason. 
Um, we just couldn't get over the hump in these games. And for some reason, what happened on Sunday that day was just a, a script that happened nine other times this season that look some of these losses that we could have won. It was the same formula over and over and over. And I got to do a better job of, you know, game planning and trying to think how we can improve on that. And I didn't think COVID would have as much of an impact as it did on us. Cause when I think not trying to make excuses, but you look mid season, you know, you see some of the scores all throughout the country and why our teams are struggling and surprise scores. And I remember my freshman didn't play water pool for a year and a half. My sophomores had seven games last year and that was it. So now you have a half your team that really had not played water pool in almost two years that it led to some, some tough moments this fall, but that's for everybody. And so it's not an excuse. It's just, uh, we got to be better on finishing scoring goals and, and kind of locking down our defense that we don't give up one or two easy goals in a tight game that next you know we're down to instead of up to and uh, it's an uphill battle. Well, there are no easy goals for GW in the semifinal match, and that's when our boy Coco Bianco uh, had that record number of saves that helped you get uh, to the final against Fordham. No surprise there. He was named to the Mid-Atlantic Water Polo Conference All-Tournament team along with Isaac Salinas. You lose Isaac to graduation. Copa Bianco is just a youngster. Forecast me the, the team next season. Do you have good recruits coming in? Are you happy with who's coming back? What's your outlook? No, I'm excited. Now, I think you look at our team, a lot of our younger players were providing a lot of our scoring. Caden, he's a stud, you know, and what he can do in the cage is, uh, is amazing. You know, that's a great feat for him, that side of the night game, side of the night game. But honestly, we don't want our goal to have 25 saves. And that's another problem this year. Our defense in front of them wasn't good. I'll never forget at Princeton, I had Asi Johnson, an Olympian, come back after the Olympics, sets a record for um, saves, and the girls were high-fiving her after the game. And she got mad at them. Like, I never have more than 12 saves a game at the Olympics. And here I am measuring 28 saves in a game. That just means you have bad defense going on in front of you. So, yeah, Caden had a great game, happy for him. But we got to do a better job that he, that doesn't happen again. But we got some great freshmen coming in. I think our freshmen now had some great experience playing. And I think, you know, watching a team jump in your own pool for a championship, it's motivating. I mean, there's nothing I have to say or do. These guys are fired up to get going. And, you know, that is a hard pill to swallow. You know, it's really hard to get there. And I always talk to the guys, what makes winning so special is losing. Winning is hard. If it was easy, it wouldn't be that big of a deal, you know. And we got there. We got to a championship. Now we have to get over the hump and then win that thing. And uh, I think the guys are motivated to do that next year. Yeah, well, count me among them. Uh, I was sitting right next to Joe Cook there poolside as, like, you know, old men are getting thrown into the pool for Fordham and they're hanging flags already and they're in our pool, oh. basically acting like uh, like they're in New York City. And uh, it, it was not a nice thing to see. So, yeah. so I join you in that. Well, I know you don't like talking about it, um, but, you know, a nice thing that happened in 2020 was your induction into the Hall of Fame that had to be deferred based on COVID. But, you know, here in the last month, you 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 were inducted finally. I know that you're the last person in the world to talk about your own personal accolades, but for you, how did your induction sort of validate what we talk about on this podcast, which is the merit and the value of the physical mission? You know, is it something that you still obviously believe in to this day that, that the, that the 
lessons that you learn on the fields of friendly strife have have consequences that help you out in the in the long run? Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, that's what makes athletes so successful in the fleet, in the business world, is that we have the ability to to fail and learn from it, work with people maybe you don't like. Um, you know, athletes, I, people always talked about at Princeton, they were our biggest donors. So they like to admit it. That they were usually the ones that were out there being CEOs and entrepreneurs and politicians. And I think it's the same in the fleet. Um, you know, as far as the Hall of Fame, it was great. I'd much rather run around on my Speedo and motivate the mids and put a smile on their face. I was very lucky to play with some great guys, have some great coaches, got a chance here and maybe wouldn't get in another school. And, you know, and I was fortunate that way. I'm hoping, you know, that we have some some current Navy players and future Navy players get in the Hall of Fame. And that's what I want to see. I want to see success. Uh, I, you know, individual honors are great, but I coach a team sport. And the only thing I'm, I care about is us winning championships. If we can do that, then everything else kind of kind of fall into place. Well, that's what we're rooting for here, too. So as we go out, I'll just ask you, in all of your years exposed to this great game that's coming up on Saturday, which will be covered by uh, ESPN College Game Day, which undoubtedly will have a sellout crowd as usual. Hopefully the weather is nice. Um, you know, in, in the end, what is your favorite memory um, of this game? Gosh, you know, I, it's, it's a bucket list. There's no, if you've never experienced this, you, I tell every parent, every friend I have, you have to do it once. This TV doesn't, doesn't, doesn't do it justice. The, the atmosphere, the, the tailgating, um, I don't know if it's a favorite memory. I think it's more of a nightmare. You may relate with this. Is I remember every year after the game, being in the parking lot and, and hearing the LT say, hey, unsat, restrictory buses, one through 10. And I was one of the unsat guys. And as my buddies were always going out to party in Philly and New York, I just, I just remember that bullhorn, unsat, restrictees, bus one through 10. And checking in, saying, "Sir Nicolau, yep, sign my name off." And on the bus, I was going back to Annapolis. So it's not a, you know, it's not a great memory, but boy, that memory sticks out in my head about that LT checking checking names to get on the bus to go back because I was one of the dummies that was always on set. <laughs> well, that's why uh, that's why you are a friend of the pod. We we love the unsat ones here. So oh, um, yeah. Coach Nicolau, as usual, it's been a pleasure. Congratulations from us to you on the Hall of Fame induction. And we'll be in, the, uh, in that pool uh, with you next year, uh, hopefully jumping in with you when we celebrate uh, our own championship. So go Navy, beat Army, and thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. Anytime. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Coach Louis Nicolau. That wraps up this pod, the first of our daily pods this week during Army Week. Tomorrow. Come back in. We're going to have the likes of Tom Lynch, Mike Hekimovich, um, also Bill McKinney, uh, members of the Brotherhood from years past to talk about what was so special about those Army-Navy teams. So for now, for Chris and Ward and Wags, I am John. We are out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show, and from time to time will be part of the podcast segments.